Okay. Uh, as you find your seat, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Sort of in the middle of your Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And um, just a, the same notes that we have every time. Sam, can you close that back door for me? Uh, the next meeting is in two weeks. That's March the 15th. Beware the Ides of March. Um, ironleadership.org has all the content. So whether you're looking for this or the videos or anything else, it's all on the website. And um, you probably know by now to get the text messages, you need to get sign up for this called Flock Note. Uh, so it's in the emails, but this is what you type into your phone and then you get the, the text messages. Uh, and I haven't switched over to it yet, but I'm going to as soon as you guys sign up. So I <laughs> want to make sure you know about that. Um, Pastor Rob Campbell's here. He wandered in. Poor lost soul. Needed some help this morning. So we're grateful that you're here, Rob. Welcome, welcome. At New Beginnings, a good friend of mine. So uh, you want to say hello to him. We're glad that you're here. And Mark Hurt is going to begin our time in prayer. Amen. I want to show two videos here. Um, and I'll just, uh, we're talking about time, and we'll be using that reference from Ephesians 5 as well, about redeeming our time. And when you're uh, young, Mark said it well, you think like you have lots of time. But it goes faster than you think. And you want to be a person who redeems or buys back your time or uses your time well. And uh, these two little videos help us think about that. First one is just a time-lapse video of a young girl to an old woman. It takes about 30 seconds, and when you get old, it feels like your whole life, but lasted about 30 seconds. <laughs> Psalm 144, a man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. So you start and uh, you think you have a lot of time. You look in the mirror and then suddenly you're like, wow, what happened? Uh, what, what, where did all my time go? Uh, most of you have probably seen the old movie now, very old movie called Dead Poet Society. Everybody seen that? If you haven't, you should see it. Robin Williams, kind of an ironic thing. He's talking about using your life well for somebody who committed suicide. And uh, he's a teacher of a bunch of young men, and he's trying to help them understand that they feel like they have a lot of time left, but the time goes by very quickly and is 
famous, you know, uh, saying here is carpe diem, seize the day. Make sure you're, you're redeeming your time. And he talks about that in this little clip. Now, Mr. Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. Where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymnal to page 542? Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. the virgins to make much of time? Yes, that's the one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. Let's seize the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding! Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. Everybody's been in this situation. You walk past the trophy case, you see the pictures, but they they don't mean anything to you. They're just some team who won a championship a long time ago. Here's a picture of my mom and dad at their wedding. He died at 33. She died at 52. My grandson who's coming uh, today He'll look at this picture like you would look at this picture. I mean, he might hear me tell a story, but they're not real to him. They're just people. They might remember a story that I say about my dad.
But I'm sure at this age, when they were, you know, 22 and 23, they thought, we've got 50 or 60 or 70 years. And it turns out that he only had 10. And I'm 55, so when I turned 52 and I thought, you know, I've outlived my parents. It's kind of a weird, weird feeling. And so it's helped me to think about using the time you have wisely. And so that's my question for us today. As we think about building our character, building our interior wall, which is our focus this year, a lot of it has to do with just how you use your time. Time is a commodity. Time is something you steward, like money. You're supposed to, a lot of times you think of stewardship campaigns or a capital campaign. It's, it's how you use your money. You have a certain amount of money and you've got to steward it. But time's a little different than money because with money, if you lose money, you might actually be able to gain it back. But if you lose time, you don't get it back. If you waste time, you can't somehow make up the time. It's, it's time that you have today and then you don't have this day anymore. And so we're trying to think about that. And it's something that the Bible talks a lot about and specifically in this poem from the wisest man in the world's Ecclesiastes 3. You'll be familiar with the, the verses here. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then Solomon writes this poem, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And then he gives his commentary on his poem. So verse 9, he asks this question, after my poem, what gain has the worker for all his toil? Well, verse 10, he says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be jo- than to be joyful and do good as long as they live, as long as they have time. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing taken from it. So this poem is a series of what scholars will call mirisms. Mirisms are words at the end of a pole. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not to mean to say he literally created the heavens and the earth, which he did. It's meant to tell you he's created everything there is from the heavens to the earth. He's the creator of everything from pole to pole. And so in this poem, the the writer sets up a bunch of poles, 
a bunch of merisms to say God's in control of the beginning and the end of these things, meaning he's also in control of all the things in between. He doesn't have time to say everything. He's just going to use one side and the other and help you understand. And he also means he's in control of everything else. So first of all, he's in control of time. There's a time to be born and a time to die. He's, he's in control of all of your life. He set your life in motion. He's in control of all of your life. He has determined whether it's 33, 34, 35, 52, 82. It's already been determined in God's mind where that time is. Job 14, man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set the limits. He cannot exceed it. So from womb to tomb, God's established the boundaries. But remember, God's not just in control of your beginning and end. It's a way to say God's the owner of all of your time in the middle. It's not like he got it started and then you control your time and then he brings it to the end. He's trying to help us understand. He's trying to, to rescue us from this fallacy that somehow while we're alive, we're the ones in control. He's just sort of in control of the beginning at the end. So a lot of times you have people who think of Christianity this way, that they come to meet Jesus as a fire insurance policy. You ever done this? I, I did this when I was a kid. Preacher's talking about hell. I don't want to go to hell. How do you get out of hell? You get the fire insurance policy. Got to go up, up, up front. You got to get baptized and you get this ticket. So when you die, you pull the ticket out and say, I get on the train. But you see, the idea of that is he's just in control at the end. I've got my ticket for the end, but I live my life the way I want to live it right now. And that's not the way Christianity is set up. So he's in control of all things. The time you're born, your whole life, and then the time you die. Time to plant and a time to pluck up. I listed these things on one of these slides. So in the spring, you plant. This is planting season. So if you have a garden in your backyard like I used to, usually April 1st, April 15th, that was the day you started planting. And then the crops came in and sometime in September or October, you started plucking them up. I listened to a podcast recently about a guy named Eugene Peterson. Some of you know his name. He's kind of a famous biblical scholar and he wrote the, the translation of the Bible called The Message. That's probably how you would know him the best. And he recently died. He died last year. And he, on his death, deathbed, his son was with him. And his last words as Eugene Peterson gazed off in the distance was, let's go. And we don't know. You know, you're just, deathbed experiences are strange moments. But let's go. It's time for me to be plucked up out of this world and planted in the next one. He's ready to go. He's used his time well, so he's ready to say, let's go. Rather than, I haven't used my time, and here at the very end of my life, I'm trying to hang on to it because I haven't used my time that God's given me well. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck up. There's a time for weeping and mourning, laughing and dancing, meaning there's a time for all of these emotions. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. This is my favorite verse for my daughter when she was a teenager. 
her poor husband's back here now. Hey, honey, you remember when you go out, there's a time for embracing, and now is the time to refrain from embracing. There's, there's a time for all of these things. There's time to be close to somebody. There's a time to have some distance from somebody for whatever the reasons are. A time to seek and a time to lose. I don't know in your household who's the loser, meaning who's the person who always misplaces the keys. You got one of these people in your household? It might be you. And you spend so much time trying to find your keys or your spouse's keys or your son's, you know, socks or whatever it is. Time to seek, a time, a time to keep silent time to speak. I wonder if you're good at that, knowing that time. Proverbs 13, he who guards his lips guards his life. A friend of mine texted me the other day, said, can you text me back and tell me to shut up? <laughs> so he's in, in his house, I'm assuming, and he just is not good at closing his yapper. So I send him a little text, shut, you know, shut up. So there's a, there's a time you need to speak, but then there's a time to just say, I don't need to say anything right now. And if you're one of the people that need to get the last word, it's hard, it's hard to know when to be silent, especially if you're in an argument, very difficult. Not enough for me, of course, but other people I've heard about. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. God has made beautiful things and when you see beauty, it's a time to love. There's a time to love it. But when you see or are engaged in evil, evil that's trying to invade your life, evil that's trying to invade your church, evil that's trying to invade your family, evil that's trying to invade your community, evil that's trying to invade your nation, it's time for war. So finally, as the preacher puts his pen down and then reflects back, what, what has he gained? And you could sort of be skeptical and say, well, you know, there's, there's 14 of these poles set up. And if you just add them all together and subtract them, then you end up with zero. In other words, there's, not, there's nothing to gain. You just, life goes on and you end up as a zero. And of course, that's not true. He wants to, to make sure we understand that that's, life's not a zero. And this is my favorite line in this passage here. And the one I want to make, make most application to you. Read uh, verse 10. The business God has given to man. The business, I've seen the business God has given to man. Did you know you're in business with God today? You're a business partner. He set that up in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. You're my business partner. We're, we're working together. Now, I'm the owner, but, but you're, you're a partner with me. And you're in business with God today. And my question is, if you're punching the time clock, are you reusing your time well? I mean, if he's the boss and comes and says, okay, I saw you clock in at eight and you clocked out at five, that's great. But did you use your time between eight and five? Well, I need to know if you're using your time or you're just sitting around chatting the whole time or on your phone, whatever it is. You're in business with God. And then verse 11, it says, God has put eternity in our heart. And verse 14, what God do, whatever God does endures forever. So are you in business for eternal things or temporary things? You're in a business relationship with God 
what he does lasts forever. What you and I do under our own steam with our own wisdom, that doesn't last very long. Jim Collins, most of you have read the book Built to Last, great business book. And this is what he says, stability is due to a strong inner core. Everything has to adapt and change to that one core. You could take that into Christianity. You have a singular core. That's your relationship with Jesus. You're in business with Jesus today. He has planted you in a family. He has planted you in a business. He has planted you in a neighborhood. He has planted you in a church. He has planted you at a certain time. And you're in business. And lots of things have to change around what you're doing. But at the core, you're in business with God and you're representing him before these things. So when you go to school today, or when you go to work today, or when you go to home today, you're representing Jesus. You're in business with Jesus. And I just wonder if you think that way, or you think, well, I'm, I do business with Jesus between 11 and 12 on Sundays. Or I do business with Jesus for 20 minutes in the morning, and then I'd, I spend my time however. You see what I'm saying? That, that's not how God wants us to see it. He wants to say, I've given you all of your time, and when you come back, I'm not only going to be looking at your checkbook, I'm going to be looking at your day planner. How did you use all of your time? 1 Corinthians 3 no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid. This is Paul talking to his, the church he planted in Corinthians. And people are coming behind him, giving messages about Jesus. And he says, if any man builds on this foundation, which is the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is gold, silver, stones. If they come in and lay something on it like wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because there's a day that's coming, and it's a day of fire. And all of man's work is going to be tested. The quality of your work is tested. If what you have built survives, then you get a reward. Isn't that interesting? If what you do right now survives, you get a reward for that. But you could be putting down wood, hay, and straw, and it would be burned up, and you would get in... You'd be saved, but you'd be like one escaping through fire. You, there, you'd just barely get in. There'd be no reward because you spent your whole time building with wood, hay, and straw. So this morning, at this moment, I'm building something into your life. I'm trying to put something on the foundation of the gospel. And my hope is it's gold, silver, and costly stone. But one day it's going to be tested. And if I do it from a motive of ego, to get you to like me, to make myself sound smart, it still could be helpful to you, but for me, no reward, because I'm just doing it for you to like me right now. Today, you're in business with God. Whatever you're doing, you're going to go lay something down on a foundation. How you treat your coworker, how you live with your family. And that's going to be tested one day. And my prayer is that as a husband, as a businessman, as a person in the community, you're laying down things that are going to last. Two closing points that are helpful for us. One, verse 11, he's put eternity in man's heart so that you can't find out what God has done from beginning to end. 
And what I like about that verse is it should create or generate a great deal of humility. You're in business with God right now for your 30, 50, 80 years, but he's got an eternal plan in mind and you're not always going to see it right now. I can imagine Brandon Hart for sure as a math teacher at Hoggard hearing something like this. Why am I learning this? I'm never going to use this the rest of my life. How many of you said that to a math teacher or an English teacher or a Spanish teacher? Right? I just don't see its application to the rest of my life. And he has to say, there's something about, even if it's not math, there's something about you figuring out a problem that's gonna translate to the rest of your life. You're gonna get into a situation, you don't know the answer, and you're gonna have to figure it out. And you figuring out this little problem on a piece of paper is gonna help you figure out how to do, do your life. That's what you say, isn't that what you say, Brandon? <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? That, that what's happening right now, God may say, Paul, I'm preparing you for something in a thousand years. So if you don't get the pain that you're dealing with right now, it's okay with me, Paul. It's okay if you don't get it right now. What I need you to get right now in this pain is you be faithful and trust me. That's going to pay off in a thousand years. And you're going to look back and say, wow, glad I, I didn't whine. I'm glad I didn't complain. I'm glad I didn't curse God. So it creates a great deal of humility. And then notice in verse 12, this is how he closes. Since our time is in God's hands and he's given it to us, he's made it a positive time into your life. Be joyful. I love that. Be joyful and do good works. I wonder if you're joyful. I wonder what your wife would say. I wonder what the person who works next to you would say. See, if God has given it and he's in control of everything, and even if you're in a difficult situation, you know it's going to be beautiful in its time, so you can be joyful. I'm not saying it's not frustrating or difficult, but there's a stream of joy that works underneath your life that you say, God's got some purpose for this that I can't see right now, and it may be frustrating, but underneath that frustration, I have joy. It's okay. I wonder if you're like that. See, when I find a joyful person, man, I like to be around that person. But it does, you know, you know this, it doesn't take long to find the person who got weaned on a dill pickle, right? You're just like, wow, that person's sour. And just their whole countenance starts closing down. And you're like, I just, I need to, I, I can't take that person right now. I don't have the energy for that person right now. And I'm wondering if maybe you're that person. You come home and your wife is like, oh man, just he's sour. You don't have joy because you don't really realize God's in control of all of these things. And even if it's a difficult moment right now, it's for a great purpose that's going to be beautiful in its time. And so you can struggle through this difficult moment trusting God. Let me close with just looking at Ephesians 
5, this is the verse that Mark read. Um, be careful. There's a couple of different ways to say this verse, and I like this version. Be careful to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. You know, it's circumference. So when you walk out your life, you got to look all the way around. You got to be very careful. You can attack from behind, from the side, whatever it is. You got to be careful. You got to make sure you're looking all the way around. And then it says, be wise, redeem the time. Redeem is me means you're buying something up for a purpose. And in the Greek, it has a sense of urgency. I'm buying something up with, with urgency. Think of like the stock market. I'm, I'm buying some commodity up because I, it's very valuable. And once you spend it, you can't get it back. And he says, you need to buy up your time. Why does he say you need to redeem it? You need to hold it closely because the days are evil. You've got to look all the way around because the world you live in, whether it's in Corinth or Ephesus or Wilmington, the days are evil. And if you don't walk circumspectly, evil comes into your life and eats up your time. I would say unwise use of your time would be excessive social media and, for guys, gaming. Now, when I ever say this, you think, well, I'm supposed to delete it. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying an unwise use of your time. Average college male spends 7 to 15 hours a week gaming. A more hardcore gamer, four hours every day. <coughs> so let's just say you do 10 hours a week in a month, that's a 40-hour work week. Think about what you could get done with a 40-hour work week. You see, when pressure comes on in your home, in your heart, in your church, more time gaming isn't going to help at that point. More time understanding God, understanding his word, understanding his worth, understanding the way the world works, that's going to be helpful. But you have had to pour that into your life. And if you poured that much time into gaming, you're not going to be very helpful. I think I've told you this story. A beautiful couple came to me just one time. And uh, he came one time at church and said, hey, I've got marriage problems. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. As far as I know, it was his first time. And I said, I'm happy to just sit and talk to your wife one time. So she came one, one evening. The two of them were here. I don't know. They've been married a year or two years, not very long. Nice-looking couple. Seemed nice to just be with, pleasant. But immediately I just knew, that, hey, there's a big problem. And the big problem is that she married a middle school boy. That was the big problem that I could tell. And she's crying saying, you won't get rid of your Game Boy, your PlayStation. I'm looking at him like, come on, dude. That looks like to me you got a winner, winner, chicken dinner here, buddy. And you're a middle school boy. Can you give up your Game Boy? Can you give up your PlayStation? And he said, I don't know. 
And I said, you're not a man, you're a boy. And you, young lady, married a boy. I'm sorry you did. And I hope he can grow up. I don't know if he can. They never came back to Christ Community Church. Never came back for a second follow-up. And about a year later, I heard they were divorced. He's just wasting his time. Another big time eater is pornography. If you've ever done it, you know how it works. You start looking and you think it's just going to be one second or one click and hours go by. In a blog post, this was actually 2016. The blog post is called Fighting the New Drug. In 2016, one porn site. I'm just th- I don't know how many there are, but this is just the stats from one. 64 million visits every day. 92 billion videos watched. 12 videos for every person on the planet. 4.6 billion hours watched on this one site in one year. 4.6 billion hours. That calculates to 5,246 centuries of time. Think about where our country could be if men, mostly men, had given 5,000 centuries of time to something worthwhile or beautiful. We could be in a totally different place. But men are not walking circumspectly. They're not really fighting evil. They're not redeeming their time. They're wasting their time. And as we waste our time, our country wastes away. And so are you redeeming your time? That's the questions that we're going to have about 15 minutes to discuss. They'll be up here, get in a group of about three. I wouldn't, I would try to not get in a group of four. That's just not going to, you're not going to have enough time if you do that. So ready, break.